UMass fans on your tweets and make some noise for your podcaster. Well, can you believe what's going on in the Atlantic 10 today? Oh, I remember man. when Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. <laughs> and he rips him down, he puts him in his seat, and he looks at him and goes, that was fucking hilarious, but you really just got to shut up. I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. My name is Free Hicks Sage. I'm joined tonight by my producer, Bennett Carroll. He is in the nation's capital. I am in New York City. We have a special guest tonight to break down the Atlantic 10. I want to be clear, this is primarily the Atlantic 10 preview episode. So that is basically what we're here for. So if you are not a UMass fan, but you're listening to the A10 preview show, skip ahead because right now I'm going to do a brief breakdown of tonight's UMass Georgia game since we are, of course, recording this on the same evening that the Minutemen were defeated by the Bulldog Georgia in the non-conference finale. The team lost 91-72 in an all-around frustrating outcome in Athens, Georgia, before a sellout crowd. I am not joined tonight by my very sporadic co-host, Andrew Callagy, a.k.a. A. Callagy, for long-time listeners. All right, so what happened tonight? Well, I have been advertising at some, uh, at, at some length on Twitter after the game that I uh, a plan to fix the team. And that is, of course, uh, somewhat of a joke, but I, I do have some thoughts after talking to NBA scout who was actually in attendance at the game tonight, uh, an old friend of mine, uh, going back a while, I won't reveal who, because uh, this is what he does professionally, but he had really interesting insight, and uh, I think sometimes people who watch the game professionally actually have some real interesting shit to say, and they look for really specific things, and they also see a ton of other teams, and, and they have necessary context, so I'm going to get to that in a minute. Is a text message conversation we had helped inform uh, what I want to say tonight and uh, gave me some clarity about what's wrong with this basketball team right now. But let's just jump into the game tonight real quickly. I did not think that, you know, despite the score, that this was anywhere close to UMass's worst performance of the year. In fact, I think that had we taken care of business, let's say, in two of the three disaster losses we had, it's a disaster. Holy Cross, Howard, Harvard. Have we taken care of two of those, right? And we were entering tonight's game at 9-3, and three, and we lost by 19, and we moved to 9-4. and four. I think you're entering non play feeling pretty good. Okay, you got thumped on the head, but you look at tonight, the way tonight happened, and it was sort of like, well, we just didn't execute terribly well. I, I didn't think it was a poorly coached game by any stretch of the imagination. I thought we were prepared to play. I thought that... Uh, Man-to-man defense was actually, despite giving up 90 points, not horrible. There were a lot of just really dubious touch fouls. I mean, they're the kind of fouls that on a neutral court, I just don't think go against you. Uh, I, I never blame the refs, but I just think, you know, every time we go to an SEC arena, we, we get all these borderline calls, and I thought it really affected the way we played defense tonight. I'm not blaming that, the outcome on that, but I think Georgia went like 27 for 31 from the line. They hit a ridiculous number of difficult threes. 
uh, a, you know, a few late in the shot clock, a few at, at particularly momentum killing time. Pipkins picked up like kind of a bullshit fourth foul with like 10 or 11 minutes to go. Every time it felt like we were going to cut the game, you know, we just couldn't get a big bucket. We, we, Curtis Cobb had a great steal in the full court press and just missed a layup, you know, that would have cut it to like eight or 10. Um, Carl Pierre in both halves just missed wide open threes. But we didn't do hit, hit free throws. And Luan Pipkins, I think, despite having a pretty solid game overall, once again struggled from deep, going, I think, 0 for 8. So this was not the kind of game that I, I, I hated because of our lack of effort or lack of intensity. I thought our, our lack of effort and our intensity was there. Um, we played a team with a tremendous amount of length, and that hurt us on the offensive glass, but that's just because they were better, you know? And the reality is UMass isn't good enough, and we've said it all year, to play poorly um, or to miss, you know, key shots and, you know, just go completely cold from three and expect to beat any SEC team, especially on the road. So I wasn't, you know, irate at, at the way in which things went down. What is becoming more and more concerned is whether or not we're any good. I, I, don't, I don't mean to say we're bad, but the question is starting to become, well, how well do we have to play to beat a decent team? Because Georgia, yes, it was a road game, and yes, they're a CC team, but that's not a great team. It wasn't, it wasn't an outstanding club. I mean, we didn't match up terribly well against them, but they're not great. And so what does UMass have to do to beat um, a decent team because that's really what it's going to come down to in a conference where there's really eight, nine, ten, maybe even eleven teams that are all within on a neutral court, five, six, seven points in one another. And I was kind of trying to figure out like what's our problem, right? Because I've said it all year. My theory, broadly speaking, is that, and I think uh, Winslow, oh five on Twitter has alluded to this and others, but I, I sort of subscribe to it, which is basically that there's a lot of team who can't do more than one thing particularly well, and therefore if they're not doing that one thing particularly well in a game, then we're in trouble. Jonathan Laurent, I think, can do a few things well. Pipkins can do a few things well, but you know, if a guy isn't doing his thing well, we can be in trouble. Like when Carl Pierre's breaking open threes, that's a problem. When uh, you know, um, Holloway is missing bunnies down low. Not that's a problem. Uh, you know, when Curtis Cobb is off shooting, that's a problem, right? Because there's not enough that they do to compensate. So here's what he said, though, because sometimes it's hard for me to put my finger on it. And I think he nailed it. He says they're in a tough spot. I'm referring to UMass don't quite have the size on the wing to play small ball and use their speed. And their bigs aren't great defending in space, so they have to help a ton, and teams with good ball movement can pick them apart. And when he says they have to help a ton, he's not just referring to the bigs, he's referring to the guards as well. And I think that nailed it, because I don't think our guards, uh, and, and when I say our guards, I'm referring to non-PIP guards, because I think PIP is... Because of his size, he can be a menace defensively, but he can also just, it's just the way things go when you have a 5'9", 5'10 guard, like it's going to be harder. But our other guards, Pierre, Clergo, uh, and Cobb, none of those guys 
are like abjectly atrocious defenders, but none of them are like lockdown stoppers either. And none of them are, according to the scout, big enough to kind of compensate and make big time plays and allow us to play small. So when he says play small, he's saying that teams that are doing that are basically going with four or five guys in the minimum six, five range to kind of six, seven range, right? Like a lot of length um, where they can help a lot. They can compensate a lot and they're strong and pretty quick because then you don't have to really play a true big and um, you have a lot of guys who can handle the ball. And I think that to some degree is what McCall wants to do. But I think he's right that Pierre and Cobb are not good enough as defenders to, to play that way. They're fine, but they're not great. And then Claire Goh, who is a great defender, isn't big enough to be on the floor with, let's say, certainly not with those two and Pitt, because now you're playing four guys under 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and, and, and it's not as if Cobb and, and, um, and Pierre are lightning quick so that you can you know, get away with a really undersized lineup. So there becomes this dynamic at play where you're like, well, all right, like how do you play? And, you know, that's a question, right? And so what does this all lead to? It leads to there isn't a definitive identity of the basketball team, of this basketball team. And that's not necessarily an indictment of, I think, I think for a lot of the years, I think it was like, oh, it was, it's an effort problem. It's, and I think that that's been the case in, in a few too many games. Don't get me wrong. But tonight, I think, you know, against a team with a lot of length, um, and a team with, you know, um, good ball movement, as he says, because he says, and their bigs aren't great at defending the space, so they have to help a ton, and teams with good ball movement can pick them apart. And that's what happens, right? Like, too much helping, and so guys get open. And so if you make any defensive mistake or you don't communicate well enough defensively, you know, we can say, well, you know, it's an effort thing, and the guys just didn't guard, and, and we just got to sit down and guard people, like McCall says. And he's not wrong, but the reality is, like, no team in the country is incredible every single possession, right? So you got you got to have a little room for error. We don't have that because of the problems that this guy is alluding to, I think. And so we kept talking, and, you know, I was kind of like, you know, what are we going to do? Here's my only solution, and it may be a little out there, but I think it may be worth trying. I think we have to become a really press-happy team. Now, the risk of being a really press-happy team, well, first of all, it's challenging to put, in a, to put in various presses is not easy. It's complicated and requires, you know, time and, and, and practice. So that's one challenge. The other challenge is that when the press gets beat, if it's not really good, I mean, like when VCU's press used to get beat, even when they were awesome and they had that really super unique Havoc press, like you get an easy layup, right? And if your press isn't great, you give up a lot of easy layups. But my thing is, we're 13th out of 14 in the Atlantic 10 in scoring to begin. So why the fuck not, right? Like, at a certain point, yeah, I know, defense wins championships, the old adage, right? But like, if you're giving up X number of points a game and score, at a certain point, you know, you're not like a prohibitive Atlantic 10 favorite. 
maybe you just say, look, we've got about 10 guys who are playing. We've got some depth. And there's no one really on this team right now other than Pipkins who you can say, maybe Laurent, who you can say definitively deserves 30-plus minutes a night. In fact, I was making the case that the drop-off between our first best player, Pip, and our second best player is wider, arguably, than the drop-off between two and two and ten. It's not necessarily a bad thing either. I think there's a lot of parity after, after Pip, especially if Carl's not hitting. So maybe you start playing waves of guys and going with different approaches. You don't have to press 40 minutes, but... You try to speed the game up, get more possessions, get easier shots. You use Pipkin's speed to, to you know, go, go, go on offense. Um, you have guys, trailers, and you know, hitting threes when they're on. You have, you know, and I think you saw some press tonight, and I thought it looked fairly decent for a little bit there. Maybe you have to radically change the way you play if you're going to change the way this season is going, because you just may not be good enough to play the way you're playing and expect, you know, consistently different results. Now, I think it's worth noting that when we have good shooting nights and we lock in on defense, we can still beat just about anyone in the 10. But to expect consistently great defensive efforts and good shooting nights every time out, or even a majority of the time out, maybe not terribly realistic. So as the team still gets used to one another, it's really the first season these guys are playing with each other. Maybe you have to create a little more chaos and speed things up and, and kind of get back to basics a little and kind of just play a little more help skelter and I think that maybe runs a little bit counter to McCall's style. But if you think about the personnel on this roster, I think that might be an approach worth exploring. I also want to say that when you think about what that guy's saying, sort of finding guys in that 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, range, you can put the ball on the floor. Well, who does that right now? To a degree, Laurent, and he should get a lot of time. You can't keep Pip off the floor despite the size. He's too good. Well, the other guy that fits that is Samba Diallo. And Samba Diallo started to really make some strides. Now, he struggles in terms of understanding uh, how to play offense in the half court. Still fairly new to the game. He's still a freshman. He had, you know, one or two sort of like head-scratching turnovers tonight. But he's got length. He's athletic, and he can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim a little bit. I think a guy like that, in a more helter-skelter, um, slightly less structured pace, might really become a serious asset for you. The question is, who do you put alongside him? And that, I think, depends on the night. I mean, you have Pip, Laurent. I think... You, you probably throw a lot of Dejiri out there for stretches, and then at other times when you want to play a little more half-court centric, you do go to Holloway for you know three, four-minute bursts two or three times a game, and you play a little more uh, you know high screen and roll with him and Pipkins, and, and I think that still works for stretches, and you can't totally go away from that when you have a guy who scores you know it's seventy percent from the field, um, and then you know I think this also allows 
for Claire Go to maximize uh, his talents and, and kind of play that that led that helter skelter style and, and really get out on guys and and, and be a menace in, in, in the on the press because I don't think he's great in the half court right now, but he is very solid in those settings. So, you know, I think that the half court style uh, to which my scout friend alluded and that I think McCall maybe eventually wants to play requires a few more guys um, and requires basically you not having a Dejiri or a Rashan um, on your roster and certainly doesn't allow for you to play Trey and, and, and Pip simultaneously because they're too small to play together in a, in a, in a system like that on the defensive end. So, you know, McCall's got a lot of questions to figure out, but, and there's, there's no, you know, um, silver bullet here to solve this. And certainly I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that, look, we're going to, we're not going to shooting nights that often from deep and we can survive by just improving our defense enough and hitting enough of our open looks. I'll take my chances with that. That's certainly a legitimate argument. I, I, I get that, and I don't want to discount it. But I also think if you really want to maybe take this to a different level, you're going to have to risk some things. If you want to get to 12 wins in the Atlantic 10, you might have to risk getting seven instead, right, rather than settling for nine, if that makes sense. Um, and that might require a different way of playing. And I think the way I'm thinking of is an even faster tempo game where you're trying to get steals, where you're taking some chances defensively, and you're getting up and down a lot. Uh, I would, at a certain point, you know, have to look at different styles of press, and, and I'm not a coach, figure out what would work uh, best. But I think UMass um, has the sorts of guys who, um, some some guys who can do that, and Clergo and, and Diallo and, and Baptiste and Pip and Trey um, and Laurent, I think those are six or so guys who can who can play in a, in a helter-skelter pace and then think, you know, a guy like Pierre does have some length and, and, and you know, can be the beneficiary in the open court on, on some three-on-two, two-on-one stuff. So, you know, maybe even... even uh, even um, Cobb. So that's that's what I'm thinking in terms of what could, could maybe turn this thing around. I am not on the, we've lost the locker room, you know, these guys don't give a shit train. I, I didn't hate the effort tonight, so I'm not on that. I was fairly pleased with the effort. That was a lot better than Fairleigh Dickinson. LaSalle is an app absolute must win to open conference play. I'm thrilled that they have a full six days to prep for it. And I'm thrilled that we're playing one of the two or three worst teams in the league to open the year, because it does not get any easier when they then play at St. Louis and at Dayton back to back in games two and three. So it's, it's an absolute must win. If you can get there, go out to the Mullen center, support the team. Um, the first five games are very difficult. You then come back for George Mason, and then you you play at um, VCU. So you know, you really want to go th- uh, two and three there. I think they can, but it is a really tough five. And and I think we're going to know a whole lot about this basketball team after five games of conference play because this is starting to become make or break time. 
the next 10, as we talk about with, with our guests tonight in, in the Atlantic 10 preview, um, are much more winnable in many ways. And so I think the first five are going to, you know, determine sort of the, the fate of the A-10 season. If they can go two and three and, and, and play respectably in those road games at three of the you know, best four or five teams in the league, I, I'll be encouraged. Um, but it is absolutely essential that they, they bag that first one and, and get a little confidence entering league play because LaSalle is not a good basketball team. They're two and ten, and, and uh, there's zero excuse to, to lose that game. And this whole season is uh, really, really in trouble. So that's where I am on this team right now. Um, let's bring on our guest and talk some, uh, some A-10 hoops. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to bring on our, as of this very moment, resident Atlantic 10 analyst. He hails from Arlington, Mass. Originally, a 2016 graduate of the University of Massachusetts, and current resident of Denver, Colorado. Joining us from the Mile High City, UMass Twitter stalwart Stu Ludicky. Stu, great to have you What's on. What's going on, man? Thank you. I've listened to every episode of the show, so it's good to be here. That's a real honor, Stu, and uh, we are so pleased to have you. In addition to being a uh, UMass diehard, Stu is a clear-thinking and uh, legitimate Atlantic 10 analyst for Busting Brackets, a website that I believe falls under the banner of the Fansided Network, yep. a sports uh, network on the internet. And you can find his work there, and you can also find him on Twitter. Really a must-follow for UMass and kind of A10 Twitter. His handle is S-Ludicky, L-U-D-D-E-C-K-E-93. And tonight, we're having Stu on in a special episode to break down the utterly mediocre Atlantic 10 Conference. It's a good way to put it. We are recording this episode mere hours removed from UMass's 19-point loss in Athens, Georgia, against the Bulldogs of the University of Georgia, which culminated the Minutemen's non-conference slate. And uh, they wrapped things up with a 7-6 and six record, which I think managed to uh, be beneath most UMass, the expectations of most UMass fans. The Perhaps good news for UMass fans is that pretty much everyone struggled in non-conference play from the Atlantic 10. And and so here we are on the eve of conference play with things maybe even more wide open than they were at the outset of non-conference play when they were already pretty wide open. Let's just talk. Let's just step back for a moment, Stu, and, and, and sort of get your, your broad thoughts about the Atlantic 10's non-conference slate overall, kind of what you're seeing, who, who you like, who you don't like, and uh, where, where you see things moving forward. Um, all right. So in terms of where we're at this year as opposed to last year, I think 
one thing that's similar is heavy league, but it's got a lot more mediocrity in the middle. Uh, that that five through what was five through seven last year is now five through eleven. So, um, but in terms of who I like, I mean, it's pretty much Dayton, VCU, SLU, and Davidson with Kellen Grady. And I don't know when he's coming back. And they're kind of in a class of their own. And then there's kind of everybody else at this point. I mean, you, you feel the same way. Well, I mean, you wouldn't put, you wouldn't put St. Joe's in that, in that camp. Um, I might have, if you asked me about a month ago, but lately they've, I mean, I've kind of been disappointed by them. I, I, I still think they have potential, but I just don't know. I kind of view them as like the buffer between those four and then kind of that middle class of Duquesne, URS, George Mason. I don't view them as being a part of it, though. Okay, so I guess my first question is how – wide uh, a chasm is there between let's say those first four you mentioned yep. and really five through you know eight or whatever I mean are we talking several games or are we talking like one or two uh, I think it'll it'll probably be a couple when it's all said and done I don't think I mean I don't think there's any real world beaters in the league. But I just think the thing that separates those teams from as mentioned with which UMass falls into, I think the thing that separates them is just consistency. Like on any given night, George Mason could beat VCU or Duquesne could beat Dayton. I just think we've seen the lower floor with those teams as well. So I think in the end it'll only manifest in probably a two or maybe two game difference in the standings, but I just think you can at this point from what we've seen be pretty confident that those teams are the best four. So I wanna push back on that because you may in fact be right, but for the sake of, of making good radio if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Dayton has one quality win. Yep. And five losses. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm just, and, and yes, four or maybe even all five of those are against respectable teams. So yep. is that, is that where, I mean, cause basically it's like, there's very few quality wins for and every team in the top four has like one, maybe two decent wins. And yep. basically it sounds like you're saying because they have, more quality losses than some of the teams toward the middle. They're, you know, top four worthy. But mm-hmm. to me, it's almost like, is that, is, is losing to, you know, some like sort of 30 to 50 range opponents, does that un- unto itself merit a definitive top four position? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, I'm just pushing back on the, on the sort of, yeah, narrative. I see what you're saying. I just think in the league this year, because there's no great teams and because a 
level losses, I think, yeah. And not not one loss of many, then no. But if if those are your only type of losses, then yeah. Because all those teams that are kind of in the middle, like URI has bad losses. UMass has bad losses. Mason has bad losses early on. Uh, Duquesne doesn't really have bad losses, but they haven't really played anybody. They have zero good wins. I mean, they have like the, they're what nine and three or nine and four or something. But they've beaten nobody. Yeah, I mean they they yeah like their average Ken Palm opponent is probably. I mean, I don't know, but I'd guess like two sixty or something. Yeah, um, but those. It's not just that they don't have any bad losses. It's that they have at least a couple solid wins and no bad losses or no awful losses. But you're talking about the Dayton's uh, and the uh, St. Louis. Yeah. The same yeah. can't be said of that, that middle pack. Yeah, that's totally fair. So mm-hmm. let's, let's begin by just going through um, kind of our, our consensus picks for 14, 13, 12, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm okay. going to start, I'm, I'm going to say my, my 14, um, I'm going to actually say, <laughs> I, I know it's a strange pick because their record right now is nine and four, but because they, well, they didn't actually beat Rutgers. I still, I'm still proven otherwise. I'm, I'm slotting four to minute 14. I know that they're nine, and four and that you have a LaSalle no, team that's, that's, that's two and 10. And so it sounds like, well, that's weird, but they just lost to Derek Kellogg's uh, Long Island, uh, LIU Brooklyn team. They lost the NJIT, who's actually deceptively decent, and maybe Duquesne tomorrow at two in their uh, Duquesne's non-conference finale. And they do have a nice win over Rutgers, so credit them for that. But they lost mm-hmm. at Maine. They beat Manhattan by one. Um, they, you know, snuck by Howard better than UMass. Beat James Madison. Okay, whatever. Uh, yeah. And then earlier, early on in the year, they beat like a D three. They lost to Houston Baptist. They snuck by FIU, snuck by Youngstown State, beat Columbia by one, and blew out Alabama A&M, who's like the worst team in the country. So yep. it's funny because they're nine and four, but it's still Fordham, and they've still they're lost. They're Duquesne nine and four. Yeah, this well, they're better than Duquesne. I mean, it's a better, it's a worse nine and four than. It's not. It's close. You're right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm still slotting them in at fourteen. Uh, my 13th team, I'm, I'm going to say um, it, it's either LaSalle or GW. Matter. Those two will be 11-12, uh, excuse me, 12-13. Mm-hmm. I, I presume you agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm going to put GW dead last just because they've looked – in terms of who's looked the most awful, they've looked the most awful to me, yeah, especially have, early I've, on. So I've seen them play uh, very briefly at the last uh, few minutes of their Howard game. I was not impressed, but um, I take your word for it because everyone I've talked to says it's really, it's really bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they beat American yesterday, who beat George Mason early on. But that's when that's the best thing you can say about your resume. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Um, okay, so you have them last, and you have Fordham 13, or do you have Fordham 12? I'll go LaSalle 12, and then I'll go I'll, – I'll reward Fordham for being where they're at at this point. All right, so props to Fordham for not being completely 
Yeah. Um, okay, so you have basically the same three teams in the bottom three. Now... Yep. Consensus basement. Yes. Here's where it gets a little tricky, because I think there's a clear consensus out there based on performance that the next two teams in your uh, in kind of the 10-11 slots mm-hmm. in no particular order would be St. Bonaventure and Richmond. Definitely, yep. I'm going to just say that I actually, we are looking at it in later probably three through or two even through 11 is going to just be bizarro world because I know that there's a large contingent of uh, fire Mooney people out there of the, the mm-hmm. Richmond coach on, on Twitter. But Richmond has some talented basketball players in that team. They have no depth, but the kid and they've lost some guys this mid season already. But the kid Grant Golden is a legit first team type player. Yep. I'm not mistaken. They have a really good guard. Uh, Golden's oh, uh, a big man. Jacob Gilliard. Yeah, Gilliard's really good. He is. So, yeah. and and I know Mooney has been like colossally inconsistent for three or four years now. But Richmond, he still runs some interesting stuff. And when they get hot, there there's enough there that like you know I mean they beat Wake Forest this year and. They've started to play a little better. I mean, Wake Forest is not good, but they've started to play a little better of late. Um, mm-hmm. They won their they won their last two in uh, non conference play. Played Georgetown tough. They played Georgetown tough, and and um, I mean they had some bad losses early on. I mean they they lost to um, they lost to Wyoming and they lost to Hampton, which are really bad losses. But yeah. I just think they're not quite as and maybe you should fire Mooney, but they're just not quite as bad as people say. And especially in the early going before they that, that thin roster gets totally gassed, I can see them stealing some games. So I'm certainly not putting them at 11. I think they're out of the first day. Mm-hmm. But that being said, my only other option is St. Bonaventure. And I want to talk about St. Bonaventure because I've only seen them play once or twice. And... Mark Schmidt to me is too good a coach and there's too, there's not a lot of returning talent but there's enough returning talent that I still feel like at some point they'll the light bulb will go off and it won't be a complete clusterfuck of a season. Right. So um who do you have in, in I, I presume you have those two in some order of 10 of of 10 11 but what order do you have them in? Um I'll go I'll go uh Richmond and then St. Bonaventure. Just so wait, Richmond, Richmond, Richmond would be 10 and out of the first day? No, I will put Richmond at 11. Um, okay, 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 got just it. Just because while they're not as bad as the others, they, I just think St. Bonaventure, they haven't had Stockard and Griffin healthy at the same time, so now they finally do. So I think they're going to separate themselves a little bit. Do you still have them at ten, though? Yes. Okay. Um, any any noteworthy anything you'd like to note about either of those teams in terms of a potential breakout? I mean, could either of those teams make a run in Brooklyn? Um, maybe just because we don't know what they are with those two playing at the same time. Um, 
Richmond, I'm going to say no, just because Mooney, while I don't think he's as bad as the fire Mooney mom, uh, or I, I still think when all you have is is Grant Golden and Jacob Gilliard, who are good, but when that's all you have, that's not going to get you through four games. Yeah, they're not built for, for four days. They might be built yeah. for surprise, you know, for, for one or two, but they're, you're right. I think in terms of just like, but, uh, and so, and I, I probably, I suspect they'll probably flail down the stretch because they, they just don't have much depth. I mean, and I'm not making that up, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's their challenge. No, that's, that, yeah, that's how it is. Buckingham? Was it, was it Buckingham who departed? Uh, yep. And then Nick Sherrod got hurt for the year. So, right. Sherrod was a, a Buckingham transferred in the offseason and then, Okay, so they're they're really like they lost because they were going to bring back. It looked like so there was the Fire Mooney crew, and then you're like, well, they're bringing back like four really legit players, and now two yep. of those four are gone. So it's like, okay, you guys were and right. It's not even it's not even conference play yet. So yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so now we get into nine, and this is where it kind of gets murky because this is kind of just like put everybody in a hat and then. Take one out. So, I'm. <laughs> there's a part of me after this UGA UMass game that's like pretty seriously tempted to put UMass at nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to do it because I just I can't do that to my own psyche. Right. Yeah. I always, always also yourself. just feel like George Mason. As much as they've struggled, they looked really solid coming back against Kansas State yesterday. I think they're mm-hmm. starting to turn the corner a little, and people were so high on them in non-conference that I'm reluctant to put them there. So maybe because I just want to believe this, whether it's true or not, I'm going to put Rhode Island there. Uh, okay. They. It's, it's frankly a little bit of... Uh, it, if I was being perfectly objective, I would not do this, but I want to believe this, and I've been given reason to after that uh, stretch in, in the Hawaii tournament where they lost to Bucknell, who's struggled and and lost all their studs from last year, and um, Hawaii, who is not mm. great either. So that's two tough losses out there. And they didn't exactly – well, they, they won comfortably today against a, a not good Middle Tennessee team. But, you know, their one great win in non-conference was against a West Virginia team who was without its star – its star one of its best players. Yep. Um, you know, they lost to Providence. They just barely beat Harvard on, like, the last possession. They lost to Stony Brook. They lost to Charleston. Their mm-hmm. wins are against, you know, they, they beat bad teams handily. They beat Bryant and Brown um, by, you know, 20-plus or whatever. But their only win is against a West Virginia team that, frankly, has struggled a lot and is and they, they won that game in – um, Mohegan Sun, so it was already like a de facto home game for them. Holy Cross, I mean, they just don't have any quality wins really, other than the West Virginia game. And it's so not- you're, you're going, you're going Rhode Island nine, not because of any doubts about their floor. It's just that they haven't shown you enough of a ceiling to. Yeah, I think that's fair because I just hate Rhode Island. And if there's, and if it's close, it's like why not just put the team I hate the most, uh, the closest right. to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Will it into existence, yeah. Exactly. So what, who do you have? It? Uh, I'm not going to go Rhode Island. Um, 
but I respect that move. I'm just going to go – I will go George Mason. Okay. I'll slot Mason in at eight. Now, have you – as I asked that, I think it is important to note that in a league that's, you know, where, where there could conceivably be two or three games separating, like, two through nine, mm-hmm. um, is it uh, – have you looked at relative favorability of um, – different teams' schedules? That is one thing I haven't done enough of. I haven't seen, like, I haven't seen if if Duquesne has to face, like, SLU and Woodward, Mason gets them at home, or so. I haven't seen all that, so. Right. Yeah, okay. So so you're going uh, Mason at nine, and who are you putting it? Who's in your eight slot? Duquesne. Okay, and your rationale there is that they're just they haven't they're still a little bit too young, haven't quite turned the corner, despite an impressive you know a solid record to start the season. Just it's it's kind of what you were saying about Rhode Island. It's like, yeah, you beat the teams that you should, but you haven't really shown me anything to think that you're that I should put you highly in the conference. You know, I'll I'll, I'll keep you in the middle. I won't put you in the bottom, but I. There's no reason to move you up at this point, you know? Yeah, so you have Mason at nine, them at eight. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I'll put them at seven and I'll put Mason at, eh, at eight. No, you know what? Mason has so many seniors. I just feel like later in the year maybe that'll, that'll, that'll mean something. So I'm going to put Mason, maybe against my better judgment, at seven and put Duquesne at eight whereas okay. you so you have rhode island as seven i presume yep okay and so then we're both slotting umass in at six i assume yeah yep hopefully yep yeah and i mean let's be honest i i just think with umass right now it really could be the sort of thing where we lose at at home to like LaSalle and then go on the road and beat St. Louis or something like that wouldn't at all surprise me. But yeah, that's what it's, that's what it's seeming like will happen. I, I posted something last week where I was like, this seems like a year UMass will go nine and nine, but the type of nine and nine where we win at St. Louis and lose to Richmond at home. So yeah, exactly what you're saying. Now worth noting, I think for UMass, and we can obviously hone in on them a little bit more sharply because we know them the best, but my big concern with UMass is if you look at their first five conference games, they open with LaSalle, so that should be a win mm-hmm. at home. And you it have probably tough, won't be, knowing UMass, but yeah, exactly. it should be. You have a tough – well, and I should note that if they do lose, then those two road games at St. Louis and Dayton, I, honestly, I could see UMass like winning both. So UMass will either win their first and lose their next two or, or lose their first and somehow win the next two after mm-hmm. everyone's like freaking out. But in all likelihood, you have to look at the first three as a one and two because maybe the two toughest road games of your schedule other than BC. Well, and I, let me get to that. Three of your t- first five conference games are – Pretty much without question, your three toughest road games of yeah. the season. Yeah, that's so, a gauntlet. That's a gauntlet. And then 
George Mason coming to the Mullen Center at, at another point in, in the year, people, you know, before the season, people would have been like, holy shit, you guys are playing like, you know, arguably four of the top six right off the bat. Yeah. So I, I think that they'll probably find a way to win that game and open two and three, but it's not inconceivable that you're looking at one and four. And mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting is that the next 10 games, games, so games six through 15, so 10 mm-hmm. games total, um, are actually like really quite winnable. And it's really like, how can they survive in the first five games? Can they get through those two and three? Yeah, without and the that, wheels falling off the bus. It, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think I think if the wheels, if they're like one and four, and zero oh and five, which I think would be just I mean, at that point, it's like it doesn't matter. But if they're one and four, the margin for error then is like supremely small, and UMass could be in real trouble. But to look on the more positive side of the ledger um it's definitely worth noting that those next 10 games there's really only honestly maybe one game which is at st joe's that i would sort of chalk up as a pretty definite loss yeah Uh, i i don't really see a whole lot of other games that they can't win so just for fans listening at home let's just go through them really quickly because we're going to spend more time on umass obviously anyway um Game six is Bonnie at home on a Wednesday night. That should be a win. Bonnie had a win. Yep. Um, then you get road Sunday game at the Mullen Center. Uh, I think I think that's a win after you know what happened last year with Rody. I think UMass will bounce back and, and win the home game. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll give them sixty forty odds now. Then you go to LaSalle, who's two and ten, and like. If you're going to win any road games, you should win that one. It's a weekday game. That place is, like, totally dead. There's no atmosphere there. I think it's winnable. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go at St. Joe's, so that's probably a loss. But you come back home for four of them. Four, you can you can be four and one. Even, and if even you, St. Joe's is a team that you, Mass, I think, could match yeah. up well with. Just yeah. like, they're kind of like us where they're they're all about – speed and offense so it's kind of like strength against strength it's not like we're having to face slu and getting dominated on the boards i think yeah i agree with that the team we could match up well with so then you come home uh fordham as i mentioned that's a win um and then davidson at home i think if you're coming off of like you know four out of five it's a saturday i think that's like going to get a big crowd that's that's the kind of game I think UMass can can win. Um, I don't think Davidson is so supremely talented that they're just going to overwhelm us. I do think they're going to pose a lot of challenges and move the ball well against our mm-hmm. our struggling defense. But I, I don't think it's like an unwinnable game. And then you go at George Mason and at GW. Now, like you probably lose to George Mason on the road, but the truth is they're not. That place on a Wednesday night is not a hard place to play, and they've really struggled all year so it's winnable and then you have gw i think that after a full week later so a week to prep right. for gw very ideal that's you know the maybe the worst team in the league and then you have um home games against st joe's and dayton and i don't think any home game this year is is one that you you can chalk down as a loss i think um the league is too balanced that mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I think those. So it's really about, uh, you know, if you can get through those first five, two and three, it's very conceivable. You can rattle, you know, even, even conservatively, certainly six and four, um, maybe seven and three. So you're looking at nine wins with, uh, you know, nine wins or, or uh, eight wins with, with, three with a couple to play, right? With three games to play. To, to enter March, and then you go uh, at Duquesne, home to Richmond, and at Rhode Island. Certainly, I think you win one of those. <laughs> so, if you go two and three, even six and four, which I think you can go better than, and then one more. So, conservatively, I think there is a real way to get to nine wins conservatively, and then yeah. all it takes is stealing one, and I think ten wins would get you to the sixth spot. So, that's where my rationale breaks down, is, is it's sort of is how I, I get to the ten wins, and yeah, there, like so, think, man. there is a path to eleven, but it, it, it really is, in, you know, incumbent upon getting two of those first five. I really think that that will set the kind of set the the tide for for the rest of the year, and I think UMass will improve um, as Tajiri and uh, you know gets his footing and, and other things happen. So I just think uh, that's why I slot UMass in at six. I think they have a large stretch in the middle of the league that's pretty favorable to them. Definitely, yeah. And I I want to support that and it makes so much sense logically, but at the same time I I had UMass going ten and three in the non conference and here we are at seven yeah. and six, so <laughs> you never know. But but I I optimistic optimistic is just slightly less than yours. Uh, I'm gonna go with nine and nine. Okay. I mean, and I'm not saying 10 and 8 necessarily. I'm just saying the path is there. And, and But frankly, there's a part of me, as I said on Twitter last week, I think that sees this team as being like 6 and 12 or 12 and 6. I don't, I, I just have a hard time seeing them staying middling throughout the whole year. I think it's like the, the, the tools are there in terms of depth where they can, where that can really benefit them late, later in the season. Or yeah. they can just like kind of you know, not give a shit and end up six and 12. So it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just a, heart, a part of me that's fine. I just think this team has enough pieces where if they figure it out, they'll, they'll get over the hump in a bad league in 11 or 12 games. And if they don't, they'll just win like five or six and it'll be like a dog shit year. And you'll, it'll be the, uh, the Matt McCall second year at Chattanooga. Yeah. Which, which we don't need to get into on the program at the moment. But <laughs> in other words, they will be, you know, they'll get like a couple against LaSalle. They'll beat Fordham. They'll probably beat GW. And they'll mm-hmm. probably beat like Richmond at home and maybe get like one quality win somewhere. You know, I mean, it's something yeah. like like that. Um, I think it is that you get Fordham at home two games against LaSalle. Um, that's, and, and you get Richmond and Bonaventure at home. I mean, so... Right. So actually, Richmond Bonaventure at home, two against LaSalle, Fordham, that's five. So then you really just have to beat like George Mason once or uh, GW. So there's, pro- there's pretty much like seven games there that you absolutely should. Yeah. Um, seven or eight. So, I mean, that's why I think like, yeah. All right. Anyway. I think I'm just sticking with the theme of this team that when there's seven games that they absolutely should win, they're going to win five of them. And then when there's 
four games that they shouldn't win, they're going to win two of them. So I think in the end of the day, it'll balance out, you know? Yeah, you could be right. You're probably right. All right, so, so, let's, so who do you got uh, five spot? Five, I'm going to put St. Joe's. Okay. Um, I'm, so is, is Kim – I mean, is it, is it Brown or Kimball who's hurt right now? Um, Brown was hurt for a few games, but he played – in their last game against Wagner. So I think, I think they're all good now. Okay. So they are healthy because they had struggled with, with health a bit. Um, and yeah, my, I, I'm going to put them actually, I'm going to actually put them at four and put okay. Dayton at five. Dayton has a lot of talent, but until I see more from Anthony Grant, I just feel like fair. he's not, a, he's not a great, uh, end of game coach they they surrender leads um some of this is me just going off of the ramblings of of our friend sully my good name on twitter but i i trust him and i just feel like yes they have tremendous home court advantage so that helps but mm-hmm. uh i feel like and it's weird because i don't think phil martelli is nearly the coach that a lot of people do and i yeah. think st joe's drops the games they should win all the time you know their schedule right now and Again, this is a momentum thing, but and I'd love to see some data. Maybe McKinney, our friend McKinney, can pull up some data on like how teams have started versus finished. But you look at uh, St. Joe's to open the A10 slate, and they have Mason at home, George Washington at home, a Wednesday mm-hmm. road game, presumably with no students on campus at Bonaventure, and then um, and then at uh, at Duquesne and back home for for a home game against. Uh, Davidson. So certainly they're going to win, win the first two. Olean with no, you know, some of these, uh, some of these Bonnie teams have been in the past, and Duquesne is not a tough place to play. So they could conceivably, they should go three and one at least, and then I think a home game versus um, Davidson is is kind of is kind of favorable as well. So and then they have where they go, they go, you know, they have that home game against Davidson, and they have St. Ju- uh, St. Louis on the road. But again, they come back home for Richmond. I just their first four or five games are pretty winnable, and they end the year with Fordham, LaSalle in Philly. So you know Fordham, LaSalle, uh, and Rhodey at their place, and then yeah. ended, at, ended at VCU. So they start and end with like a fairly winnable stretch. And I just think that I don't know. I just think they'll they'll finish fourth somehow, and uh, and Dayton will somehow fuck it up, and then yeah. End up, end up fifth but it really doesn't matter and they may they may end up tied and you know it really doesn't matter i'm kind of with you on the uh the because in terms of raw talent if you look at them on paper they might they might be a top two team in the league in terms of just pure talent but st joe's uh same sorry i couldn't hear dayton uh yes 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 dayton is dayton is loaded although isn't the knock on Dayton that their bench is a little suspect? It is, yeah. Uh, ever since Matos went down, um, I believe it's Jerry Matos, he was he was kind of their lockdown defender. And with him going down, I think their rotation is down to seven, maybe even six at this point. But, yeah, they're kind of just relying on, on their, their go-tos right now. And speak about their go-tos. Cunningham is a legit big. He's like maybe the best player in the league. Um, yeah, and, then, and then this kid, Obi Toppin, who had that 
insane dunk yesterday and went nine mm-hmm. for ten and twenty two points off the bench in twenty minutes. Where was he last year? Am I is he a freshman? Yeah, uh I think he's a red shirt. Okay. I yeah. just I was gonna say like I don't remember this kid's name and I feel like now he's kinda just everywhere all of a sudden. Well, have, you, have you seen the uh, YouTube yeah, video where he's playing with Kevin Durant and another oh, NBA player? Oh, that's the kid. I forgot it was yeah. that kid. Okay. Yeah, and he was kind of like, yeah, I think it was an interesting story. Like, he was maybe not offered a ton of places and kind of was a late find. Maybe, maybe. I don't I, know. I think you're right about that, but I don't I don't know why. Like, I don't know much about him, how he was rated out of high school and stuff so like that. So he's 6'9", 220. He's averaging 13 and or as a freshman, so he's a problem. And then you talk there the front line, which also includes um, uh, Josh Cunningham from Chicago, yeah. who I think maybe played AAU with Pippins at one point. Um, they seem to be t- yeah each other up at the game. Chicago so guys, yeah, sixteen and six. I mean that front line is just really tough. Um, yeah, and then of course they have the three guards in Davis, um, Crutcher, and Landers. So that is Crutcher's a, a stud. Yeah, that's a loaded uh, group, but you know I am looking at their their box score from yesterday, and um, yeah, they played seven guys, and you know all five starters went at least twenty eight minutes. Um, four went over thirty. Crutcher and Davis went thirty eight and thirty five. I think UMass can compete with them in the backcourt, but we're gonna have real problems, uh, especially when we're at their place, um, getting any calls and 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 uh, going against their their front line. Um, but I mean, Dave, you know, Dayton does, they, they've been susceptible to, um, giving up a lot of points at times. Um, they've, they've been, Sounds familiar. yeah, although <laughs> it's interesting in, it's a little like us in games that sort of matter. I should say, if you look at like the way they've played good teams and when people were getting really high on them was actually mm-hmm. largely after tough losses, but they, 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 you know, held Butler to 64, and they beat him by five. They held, yep. you know, number, currently number one Virginia or number two Virginia um, to, you know, 66. 66, and lost I think, yeah. Yeah, 66-59, and then Oklahoma, 65-54, and then Mississippi State, 65-58. So they couldn't score against um, quality teams, but they also defended well and then to adapt. So I think that the talent's clearly there, but I just don't trust a team with – no bench and Anthony Grant as a, a definitive top four just yet. Uh, so I'm putting them at five and begrudgingly putting a not so wildly impressive uh, St. Joe's team that's been really inconsistent and just eked out a win over Wagner yesterday uh, after eking out another win against uh, a Loyola team that, yes, they made the final four, but they've been not good this year and they won an ab- absolute barn burner of a game at 45 to 42 yeah, at that the final was, score that was something else man um so you're but you're with the, with the reverse you want or do you have Dayton four I am going Dayton four yeah I'm just, I'm just even though I like Martelli over over Grant I just think that especially to stay healthy the whole year I'll I'll roll with the talent yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine with that. Um, talk about St. Joe's though. Just, just give us a little breakdown. Just spit, on, spitball a little bit. Yeah. What do we got on on the Hawks this year? Uh, a whole lot of offense. So Lamar Kimball, uh, sat out, I believe, all of last year except for one game. Um, really good point guard. 
um, Charlie Brown in the player of the year, uh, just a straight scorer. I think he's like 6'6", six, six, small now, forward. Brown and Kimball, it feels like, I think both those guys miss full seasons with injuries because it feels like they've both been there forever. Uh, Brown, Brown did miss all of last year, I believe, right? And then the year before that was just his freshman year, I think. Okay. But he was really he was really solid as freshman year, I think. Yeah, he was. He was one of the best freshmen in the league. Um Kimball, I think, is is a senior at this point. Um I don't think he's ever sat out a whole year, but I mean last year was basically that with, with only playing one game, so but yeah, between them two and then Taylor Funk, who's that kid kind of can a, shoot. The tall Carl Pierre of St. Joe's. Um, he's a weird player. He's like a six nine kid who has a slow release and can't do much besides shoot. Right. Um, like, but he can he can really stroke it at times. Yeah. So yeah, they they can score. Um, There'll be a matchup. You would know it if you did, if you only saw their uh, game where they drop forty five, but they they can score. Um, they'll be they'll be a really tough. I think for UMass in particular because they spread the floor really well. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I was thinking that that UMass maybe play them well just because UMass actually yeah you were making this point earlier as well that that don't have a lot of uh, great physicality and size and I think that's one thing we actually can beat them just because we. We can score it too in terms of of yeah that's, yeah that game is bet the over in that game it's not gonna be yeah a yeah that'll be ninety five ninety or something um yeah so I mean Charlie Brown is averaging like over twenty mm-hmm. and um and Kimball is averaging just pulling that up right now I'm gonna guess he's averaging like sixteen seventeen point six wow so I mean they're, they're two their their guards are averaging combined 40 they're combining for like 38 a game um mm-hmm. so this is this is a team that you know I, I, uh number three i am slotting in uh vcu right now i know that they've probably impressed more than um pretty much any team and there's a case to be made that they've overachieved i think more than anyone in the conference thus far i think after their disappointing year last year and questions about uh, what the health of uh, that, that transfer from Rice. Uh, what's his face? Um, Marcus Evans. Yeah, Marcus Evans. Uh, I think there were some questions about whether or not they were ready to make the jump uh, under Mike Rhodes in year two, but it seems mm. they've kind of passed that test with flying colors, and I think there are some who are seeing them as a dark horse to uh, win the league. That being said, Despite, you know, a nice win at Texas, which is sneakily not actually a hard place to play, and a, and a quality loss, a really quality loss against Virginia, they, they, they don't have great wins. I mean, Wichita State is not actually a good win this year. They're really not good. It's a real rebuilding year there in Wichita. And yeah. they did lose to a quality Charleston team. Um, they beat Temple by six, but... You know, Temple's not actually that good as we've seen. I mean, they're fine, but it's not like a wow that that knocks the doors off. They right. lost to Saint. Yeah, we should have beat them. And they lost to St. John's. Um, you know, at a, at a neutral site game, and and all those sort of a home game because 
is in New York, but but St. John's is is has beaten no one, uh, so it's hard to say if they're that good. And you know they just snuck by Hofstra in overtime by two at home. They lost to Old Dominion by ten. I know Old Dominion's good, but I just don't think yeah. they use like you know they they played they've probably modestly exceeded expectations and they got that great win at Texas. But you, you take away that win and, and a couple quality losses and there's really not that much on the on the you know schedule that says like oh they're awesome i just think that it's such a tough place to play and um you know they they do have some real star power that i'm gonna i'm gonna slot them in at three yeah that's fair uh for my three i'll go davidson okay so my rationale for davidson and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you right now that i have um Two in the, um, actually, no, fuck it. I'm going with Davidson winning the league. I was going to say two, but let me just hear my rationale this year. Let's hear it, man. And I didn't want to put Davidson. I was like, they don't have enough talent to be number one. But I actually think that assuming Kellen Grady comes back, and, all, and by all accounts, he is returning. Mm-hmm. I actually think that his four-game or five-game um absence is really, really, really going to help them. And while it led to three out of four losses, first of all, those losses are absolutely wins with him. They lost by two to Temple, four to a not good Wake Forest team. Right. Uh, sorry. And, and and then they lost to UNC. That's not a win, but um, the two, two of the others are. And it, took, it took Temple overtime to beat them. Yeah. So I think that like the fact that he's out, has allowed other guys to get some minutes. Uh, one, including uh, this kid, Cher Poets, who's a freshman. His brother played there years back. Cher Poets, yep. of note, uh, his father, one of the lead scorers in Northampton High School history, fun fact, uh, although he grew up in Sweden. But anyway, um, I think that between him and Goodmanson, it's two stars, and then I just can't bet against um, – a Bob McKillop team that is talented because they move the right. ball. They move the ball so well, and in kind of a grinding, sort of a difficult season with a lot of parity in the A10. The thing about Davidson is they pretty much come to play and are prepared to play every single night. And I think you can't count that out. I think even Phil Martelli teams often are a little inconsistent in February. Um, yeah, Travis, Travis Ford teams certainly are. So, and we just don't know enough with Mike Rhodes yet in year two at VCU. So I can't bet against Davidson in the um, non-conference. And if I recall, and I'll pull it up right now, they have a more favorable uh, conference slate as well. So, um, you know, they, they, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just looking and and I don't know. I'm going Davidson one and St. Louis two. David, the thing about Davidson is they're one of the few teams in the league that actually has an identity at this point, too, where you actually can see a style that they're trying to impose. I feel like even the other good teams, even the Daytons and the St. Louis and the VCU, you kind of don't know what you're going to get every time out, you know? I think that's a really good point. Tell, I mean, tell us about the style of Davidson. Just... Just constant ball movement, constant motion, and McKillop because everybody on the roster is bought into it. Even even the Axel Goodmansons and the Grady's are willing to to find the open man and 
it just it when it works it's poetry but i mean in an a10 where there's not a lot of you know great teams that that could be enough you know well and i also think that this the the emergence of this freshman this kid luke frampton um who's averaging 10 which you know that gives them a third option i think going into the year my thing was like uh davidson is a two-man show as they always are like they always Mm -hmm. have two great guys and then a bunch of role players the emergence of a, of a guy who's a freshman who's, uh, you know, already averaging double figures and him obviously getting more touches with, with, uh, with, uh, Brady going down. Now, if Brady's injury ends up being, um, you know, more, more unforgiving than expected, then yeah. everything goes completely out the window. Cause I'm still saying this as if he's basically the best player in the league, maybe Pipkins, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, the kid on St. Joe's can Charlie Brown could 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 compete with that too, but this mm-hmm. assumes you know obviously that. But, yeah, I, I've but, been going through all these rankings, kind of if everybody's healthy, you know. Yeah, but my thing is exactly what you're saying. Davidson has a style; they they know what they want to do, and often, it, you know, I remember I think it was maybe even last year, Davidson fans were like apoplectic. They were like we got to get our shit together. Maybe McPhillip's done, whatever. And even I was like, well, maybe they're right. I don't know if they struggled. And then, bang, they rattle off like a ton of wins late. And then they win the A-10 tournament. So right, yeah. that's who they – and so – and McPhillip runs like really complicated sets. So sometimes it takes them a little longer to figure their shit out. But they're already seemingly figured – they've already seemingly figured out a lot of the shit. And mm-hmm. so in a league in which there's a lot of youth and – um as you said, you know, lack of definitive identity, a team that has one and a team that has a seasoned coach like that and a team that's learned a little bit how to play without by far their best player and still be in games again. I know Wake Forest is not good this year, but still an ACC team. Right. Um, and, and Temple's pretty solid. So to be in both those games and, and, you know, lose by four and two respectively, like that to me speaks to their, to, to a, a level of, quality that maybe I didn't realize that they had. Yeah. So um good culture. Yeah, exactly. And you can't discount that in the Atlantic Ten. And I, I think like the the things that chew up other teams in terms of just like in the locker room stuff, it, it never really affects them. And then I'm I'm forgetting but the other kid, the the, the big man, the, the freshman, this kid Luca Bra uh I don't know how to pronounce it, but Brajkovic, a freshman averaging 12 and seven. So like their right. freshmen are way farther along, I think, than we probably anticipated. And that's in addition, of course, to what was all arguably already the league's best backcourt in uh, Goodmanson and uh, Grady. So mm-hmm. assuming Grady is, is, you know, at 90% or so uh, there, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about them winning it. it. It could be 12 and six, it could be 13 and five. Um, but I think that Davidson is kind of the team to beat right now. And I did not expect to say that because in the in the off season, it was to me it was at one point you know it was clearly St. Louis and everybody. But right. I just and I'm not just saying this because of my own past resentments toward Travis Ford, but you know people on Twitter and elsewhere have just been making the point more and more. And when I've watched Slew, I, I feel it. It's just they're just not a well coached basketball team. They're just not a, a well I mean they have a tremendous amount of talent they are by far the league's most talented team but they just it's like I don't quite get what they're trying to do they settle for bad shots they they just they 
and they've consistently just not come to play on certain nights. They, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I just I can't, I just can't, you know, commit to tra- a Travis Ford team going through an 18 game slate, especially with the travel St. Louis has to do. They're farther away than everyone else. Um, I just, That's I, true. Yep. I mean, I, I can see them finishing with 11, 12 wins. But I just have a hard time seeing them overcoming uh, Davidson. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, um, so I, I'm got? gonna I'm gonna take St. Louis over them just because I'll take the depth, and I think that'll that'll play a key role down the stretch. So you like their bench? You think they just have enough talent to to kind of to yeah. kind of beat you? And the thing is about St. Louis in their defense is like. They've lost even that Southern Illinois team who UMass beat handily is fairly decent. I mean, UMass played really well that game. Mm-hmm. But St. Louis, you know, they've they've played ugly in some games, but they have no bad, bad losses. I mean, Pitt is probably their worst loss. And Pitt, I know they sucked last year, but I actually saw them play yesterday against Colgate. They're, yeah, they're not they're, bad. They're, they're not good. bad. They're fine. And it's a two point loss at a neutral site. Like they and they still beat um they still beat Seton Seton Hall. At it's Seton just, Hall, yeah. And, you know, maybe they deserve credit because it's like they did win all these ugly games against, you know, North Alabama and Troy and Southeast Missouri. And they're mm-hmm. not a good team that covers, but they, they, they do ultimately win. My, my, and they did beat Butler, you know, handily beat Oregon State. Obviously, they've done nothing that suggests they're, they're like a clear cut NCAA tournament team by any means. They lost it at Houston. Um, they got blown out by Florida State. Yep. Uh, I guess their win yesterday to end non-conference play, a 30-point win over um, Appalachian State, is obviously encouraging if you're a St. Louis fan. Maybe maybe they're starting to get shit together. And, like, the reality is Javon Bess and Hassan French are, are – they're, they're a tremendous duo in the front court. I mean, they have a tremendous amount of physicality and athleticism, and there's no doubt they're the most talented roster, um, and they're deep, as you said. Uh, they play, you know, eight, eight guys get a lot of minutes there. So, you know, they have the talent. And the kid, um, who's the Drexel transfer? Is it Isabel? Is that his name? Yeah, Tremaine, Tremaine Isabel, yep. Have you liked his his styles thus far? Uh, not as much as I thought I would have, but yes. And I'm, I'm not sure if he fits perfectly well in there, but maybe that's just Travis Ford's coaching manifesting itself. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, and Goodwin is Goodwin is another good player. I mean, they've got a lot of talent. You're, you're, it's it's it's. I'm almost like appalled that it, they're not a clear cut. As I said in the offseason, I was convinced they were a clear cut front runner to win it all. It's yeah, almost it's almost gross that they that that I I can't just say that, but I just think they're they're not. They don't play a, a style that uh, just sort of puts the their foot on the on the, on the wheel, so to speak, and or on the on the gas, so to speak, and just kind of grinds teams into submission. They 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 keep they let teams stick around for a while. Yeah, kind kind of where I'm at with them is what you're saying. Where you'd think if you just looked on paper that they'd be far and away number one. The difference between McKillop and his style and and Ford and the lack thereof, I guess is is making the the gap closer but I'm still going to give just cuz they have that kind of talent where 
even if you just roll the ball out, you still have Cardar Gordon, uh, Hassan, and he's, Sanchez, and he's only a freshman. Friend. I mean, he's he's putting up numbers already. Freshman, he'll only get better. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's just it's kind of absurd. Yeah, and it's worth noting. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a high major roster for sure. It's also worth noting that in only one or two games this year have they given up over 70. So Florida State hung 81 on them and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Pitt hung 75. No one else has gone over, if I'm looking right now correctly. Number, no uh, gone, number 14 defense on Ken Palm. Yeah, I mean, so they can defend, and, and like, mm-hmm. they, and as we saw the Mullins last year, they 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 do defend. It's just they, it's kind of weird that they don't get it done on the other end because, like, Travis Ford teams historically have loved to run and have, if I'm not mistaken, have not defended terribly well. So it's kind of an mm-hmm. interesting dynamic to see a, a this slew team as defensive oriented, but it, right. it, 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 but it probably, but the interesting thing is like that didn't help them in games against. Southern Illinois and and Houston when it was kind of these grinded out games they ultimately um, didn't get over the hump and I don't know I just it's hard for me to say that they're they're you know gonna gonna win it but they should definitely uh, be right in the mix so I have uh, Davidson narrowly winning it and uh, St Louis too and you have that in reverse right uh, well I I have I have oh no you have Davidson three. Was too, and then I am going to give VCU the edge right now. And what's your like? What's your rationale for VCU in the two hole? Uh, I just think they're in terms of those top shown the least weakness so far. Where Dave Davidson, you have okay. What happens if Grady goes down? Uh, well, sorry, one sec. Um, Dayton, you have Anthony Grant, you know, um, and, um, VCU, there's, there's not much you can look at and say, like, they're lacking there. I guess three-point shooting, but they seem to me to be the most complete team right now. Fair enough. Um, Stu, who's your all-conference team thus far? And, well, let's just say thus far. Okay. Non-conference. Who's your all-conference non-conference team? All right. Um, I feel like you gotta go John Axel Goodmanson just for what he's done. Um, I think for a while he was at like twenty something. Yeah, he's um, at like seventeen and a half now. But yeah, he's solid. Davidson guard. Just just in terms of everything too, like assists, rebounds, all of it. Um, Charlie Brown, I'll put up there. Um. I'll put Pip there because even though, even though we're not one of the the contenders right now, I feel like you can't ignore the fact that he's top three in scoring and leading in assists. Um, and then wait, so you got Pip Goodmanson? Who else? Charlie Brown. Okay, fair enough. And three, I'll go. I'll go Josh Cunningham. And then, hmm, I feel like I, I want to put Duquesne, John- We haven't really. Duquesne's actual roster. It's I think it's like hard to. It's still ultimately hard to pay attention to Duquesne. I know they have a ton of talent, but I'm just telling. Eh, yeah, maybe maybe Eric Williams. Um, but 
I want to put someone from VCU, but I don't. They're pretty there's balanced. Such, yeah, there's such a team where it's like there's no player where if you took him off, it's like they're a drastically um, hmm. I might go – I'll go Javon Bess for my number five. Yeah. I Just mean, St. Louis is up there, and he's he's the best player. So I feel like yeah. you got to – All right. All right. You, you're not going to go because of the missed game. Oh, Kellen Grady? Yeah, just because he's missed too many games. Yeah, yeah, he's he's an asterisk. He would be there, but – and he probably will be there when he comes back, but I can't for now, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's true, like like – St. Louis, I mean, excuse me, VCU is led by Marcus Evans, who's averaging 13.1, you know, so it's, right. it's definitely the case where they're, they're too balanced probably to to uh, to call that yeah. thing. And, and, and Eric was, you know, he's at 14.2, solid, but not explosive. What about Otis Livingston on, on, on um, George Mason? You don't think he's having uh, a good enough year to kind of, Merit a spot. I, mean, I know he started off very poorly, but it seems like he's bounced back. He's had like a thirty-point game. And, yeah, uh, he, has, he has bounced back, but I, I don't think he's only at fourteen. He's at thirteen point seven. So I was going to say surreal, surreal Langevin. Okay, that's a good, that's a good dark horse. I know he's probably his numbers probably aren't like through the roof, but you just watch him sometimes, and you're like, holy shit, he can take over a basketball game. He's that good. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna feast in the conference. I mean, like, Downton is, is actually leading Rhodey scoring at, I think, like, 16 or so, 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. But um, it's – it's um, I just feel like Langevin is going to go to work against these teams. But definitely Cunningham is in it for me. Cunningham, Pip, Goodmanson, um, and then who, who's your other one? Yeah, I think that's probably right. I had, I had Charlie Brown and Javon Bess. Right, Charlie Brown. So, yes, yeah. well, basically – any uh, dark horses that you you've liked, or freshmen, or transfers that you think uh, are worth watching, and that you know make the year, make the conference slate pretty interesting? Uh, Jalen Crutcher is is the first name that comes to mind um, on, uh, on Dayton. Yeah, I think he's I think he's second in scoring right now for them, and he's hitting forty four percent from deep. So he's only a sophomore, but he's good. Yeah, he he'll, he'll be. He could make a couple first teams before he's done. Do you think um, that Grant Golden could still find a way onto an all-conference team because he's legit? Um, he's, he averages almost twenty, and he shoots over fifty percent from the field. So I, I still think he's gonna yeah, that's um, fair. Have a, a really good season, if only because no one else on that team is going to get touches. Um, isn't isn't the the way the first team usually works though? Isn't it usually people from like the the top tier squads? Yeah, but this of? is my this is first team, not not uh not oh, the official. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I don't Fair I don't enough, play by yeah. it. Um, yeah, like I thought Pip should have been on it last year. I know UMass struggled or whatever, but I thought he was still right. Good yeah, enough to get there. I see what you're saying. Um, overall, I'm gonna get your over under on two okay. questions over under on number of teams going to the NCAA tournament. I'm setting, I'm setting it at 1.5. Okay. Over or under. Uh, I want to say over, but I feel like I have to get real and, 
and admit it at this point. So I'll, I'll say under. Okay, so basically whoever wins in Brooklyn is going to dance. Would be very the interesting. Only, the ahead. only team that that could get an at large, I feel like, would be VCU. Maybe right at this point. Well, my rationale here is like if St. Louis can get their ten eliminated at home and somehow go like let's say fifteen and three. Uh huh. Uh, so they would be fifteen and so what are they now? Nine and four, something mm-hmm. like that. So or maybe eight and four. So like let's say they're let's say Slew is nine and four. So if they go fifteen and three, which is not completely impossible, it's unlikely. Right. Um, but if they could go fifteen and three, they would end the year uh, D four and seven. And then if mm-hmm. they could win two in Brooklyn, so they'd be twenty six and seven, and then lose in the final, so it'd be twenty six and eight. I think sort of the eyes and the talent there, uh, particularly if they could have beat whoever wins the Atlantic 10, let's say if they beat them twice in the regular season. Right. Uh, you know, so if like Davidson wins or whatever, and they, they I don't know if they're playing them twice, but if that's the only chance because they do have wins over Seton Hall and Butler. So if Seton Hall and Butler, uh, you know, like rattle, like make, make good runs, get to the tournament or whatever. And then, you know, their losses are against like, and they, and they beat like Oregon state. So, and then like Houston is top 15 now. That was a four point loss. Mm-hmm. So Houston and Florida state, you know, those losses are like really quality. Those teams could be top three seed. And Illinois, maybe like win the, the Missouri Valley or something, right? Like you could, you could make yeah. a case where it's like yeah, but- all, all of our losses are against, you know, Really good teams, but are you gonna are you gonna bet on that happening though? Is the no? I'm just I'm, question. No, I'm saying like it's an uphill battle for there to be to for there to be a, a you know a non conference a, a, a second bid in the league right now. I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. an uphill battle because everyone already has four losses and no one has like there's really not a single team with like. There's not really a marquee win. You, some people would say VCU at Texas, but like Texas lost to Providence at home. Right. Chalk is on the hot seat. Like that's not really a hard place to play. Believe it or not, I know it's Texas, but it's not, especially in the non-conference. I think they might have beat UNC though, which is yeah, it was, that's a good true. one. Um, but like in other words, there's really no great wins. There's a bunch of quality losses. You know, it's like. Teams, yeah. hung with, teams hung with Virginia, and they, you know, but it's like nobody really has a quality win. I mean, there's really just not – I guess St. Louis over Seton Hall is the best win in the league, and it's like Seton Hall is a fringe top 25 team who's overachieving right now. So it's right. it, it's pretty underwhelming. Uh, and that's why I think there's just not much of a shot unless somebody kind of goes like 15-3 and three and some of their um, – respectable non-conference losses end up being to teams that get like really high seeds and it, and it, and it doesn't hurt their RPI obviously, or maybe even or whatever they call it now, the, whatever the new metric, the NET or whatever it's called. Yep. Is that, what yeah, is it called? That, that's the big one, the NET. Got so um, that's my first question. And then, so you got the under there. And then here's my other question over under NIT teams from, uh, 
the Atlantic 10, 3.5. How big is that? Or not usually, how big is that field? 32. Okay. Um, I'll go over. Okay. So I'll, who I'll go with everyone in the top four. Who, who doesn't, doesn't win the get league. that bid? Yep. So that's three. And then, and then any one of I'll bank on any one of St. Joe's, Rhode Island, Duquesne, UMass, or Mason finding a way. Yeah. yeah, I mean for Mason it's gonna be tough because they're already they're six and there's seven losses already. So if they if they lose even if they go twelve and six, that's yeah. A thir- that's a thirteen loss team and I mean they're probably let's say they yeah, go probably not seven. Mason. You're right. So, Probably yeah, um, but yeah, St. Joe's I guess definitely has a shot because they have some they have some like NIT esque wins, mm-hmm. which doesn't doesn't hurt them. Um, so you're saying like four NIT teams? I think that's probably right. I might I might say three, but um, I think that's about right. And uh, what's your game of the year in conference uh, conference play? And if you don't have it on you, just what's your UMass game of the year in conference? Uh, UMass game of the year, I'd say, I'd say Rhode Island, just because I know they're not the best team, but I just feel like it's an important game in terms of reigniting the parody in that rivalry. Yeah, it's also, I think both teams are pretty even this year, and yeah, I think Rhodey's, Rhodey's like top three or four are definitely better than UMass's, but I think UMass has more depth, and I think at home, um, that will will help later in the year. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that'll be a fun one. I, my my the game I'm looking forward to most I think is Davidson, maybe St. Joe's, just because I think if UMass has got it going at that point, that's kind of the toward the end of that ten game yeah. stretch I alluded to before. And so there's a chance that we could be kind of entering that game somewhere in the like nine and five, nine and four, you know, something like that range. So those those are the ones I'm I'm looking at, but uh. Yeah, I seem a little down after the Georgia game tonight and really have no idea where UMass is going to end up. But yeah, I, was, said, I was hoping we'd, we'd get the dub so so that we could uh, be in better spirits for all this. But Yeah, I think if UMass was tonight, I think I'd be like, oh, we're going to go 12-6 and six and like finish fourth. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, had to, had to wait and see. So I, I would say you're saying 9-9? Nine nine. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. I've been saying it for the past couple of weeks, so I'm not going to back out now. And it's weird because I see it as 10, 10, 10 or 11 and or 6, six or 7. So it's, <laughs> I guess I'll say 9 too, and yet I don't actually, I'm just going to say that as an average. I don't actually believe it's going to be 9, but. Well, which, which one do you, gun to your head, which one do you feel better about? the The optimistic or the pessimistic outlook right now? Gun to my head, probably. Gun to my head, I probably. You know what? Gun to my head, I probably see eight because I think seven. There's enough of those easy wins that I was talking about. Yeah, uh, and that I think like eight and ten sounds about right. But uh, I'm gonna choose to to just will myself into believing ten and eight. You have to. That's uh, how we get by. I can't invest so much in this, and like it just for some reason it feels like if I invest this much in the program, I feel like ten and eight feels so much more satisfying than eight and ten. It doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but in terms of right. like my psychic like sanity, 
I, I feel like it just psychologically, I need a 10 and eight. I just need to get over the hump of like, you know, sort of these bad a 10 seasons. Um, yeah. Winning yeah, like what, what have we won? Like business. 13 in the past three years or something in conference. God, it's so hard. Game in this league. Yeah. All right, Stu. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for anything having me. Anything you want to tout? Anything you want to promote while you're here? Um, well, I want to shout out my wife. Um, it's the Stu's wife. You got married this summer, right? Yep. I got married in July. So, um, she she watches every game with me and uh, can wow. name everybody on the roster. So that My goes would never long way. <laughs> um, what's what's uh, she's a but she's not a UMass alum, right? No, so we, she went to a uh, University of Delaware. Very so. chill. Go Blue yep. Hens. That's right. Yep, they just lost the game by I think about fifty points to Hofstra. So. Things are looking up there. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll shout out Whitney and uh, yeah. You already mentioned my Twitter, so people can follow me there. I'm shout out to UMass Twitter, and it's all love, man. All right, Stu. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. See you. Peace. It's time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. All right, limited mailbag is that Stu has already gone, so I should have asked him when he was here. But uh, real quickly, the all right, so real quickly, the questions are, and I apologize because um, Stu's not here, PD Buckets, a George Mason fan says, Handicap the contenders to win the regular season. Well, we just did that. So listen to the episode. And then uh, Tristan, Hoops Nut 351, who also writes for the same site as Stu, says, How for real is Duquesne? And who are your all top five A10 player of the year candidates through the non conference? So we basically did that second question too. And we kind of discussed uh, St. Louis, or sorry, rather, Duquesne. I just, I know they're good. I know they have a lot of young talent, but I just think it's still and psychologically, I just can't get over it. Plus, I haven't really beat anyone, and I haven't really seen them play. I probably didn't play less than anyone in the conference. So uh, I'm going to say modestly for real. I think Keith Dambrot is a very legit coach, but I just can't um, can't fully buy it. I'll put them in you know, six, seven, eight. That being said, no more questions here. But one thing that is going on uh, sort of post-game on UMass Twitter is after the game tonight, there was a couple players, I'm not going to mention who, um, who searched their names on Twitter. One guy in particular searched his name on Twitter, saw like a very modest criticism of him about his game, like from a UMass fan, a friend of this program who is like a very committed fan and is not a dick. And like, you know, used it as sort of like my haters are my motivators kind of thing. And like, you're not a real, Paul City like wasn't a real fan or whatever. Uh, another player responded and was like, ignore that. That's not a real fan or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating. And I, I came on Twitter after seeing that. And I was just like, fuck this shit. And I said, to UMass players making a fuss about very mild criticism from a fan or two on Twitter, 
One, if it upsets you, don't search your name. Two, that's part of being an individual athlete and playing at a high level. Take a look at any big program, and the heat is a whole lot hotter. So my thing is, look, like, this is UMass, and it's not Duke, and it's not like there's thousands of people out there commenting on your every But A, if you ever want to be at the highest level, like, that's a real part of the way, the game. B, you're not big enough to complain about people modestly complaining about you because you want fans. And, like, I understand it can be hard for a kid to understand this, and it's frustrating to sort of see people, you know, you work your ass off in practice, and it's hard to see people, you know, not doing, you know, just talking shit, not sufficiently respecting it. So if you're listening to the show, like, it's nothing personal. In fact, at the end of last year, I actually issued an apology to CJ Anderson, whose game I used to complain about. And he was like, it's all love, man. Like, I get it, you know. And so I want players, if they are listening or, or staff or whatever, to, to understand that, look, the people who inhabit Twitter and are UMass fans and write about the team and care about the team, 99.9% of them, including the one tonight, by the way, are diehards, love you guys, will defend you guys to the, you know, to the end of time. They're not the problem. If more people like out there were like them, there'd be people in the arena giving better atmosphere. These are the people who show up, who care, who buy tickets, who, you know, follow your every move, who make it feel like a big time thing. So you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not the right fight to pick. And I know it's a lesson to learn. I'm not, I'm not like going to, you know, hold it against the player forever because they made a stupid tweet or whatever. I make stupid tweets every fucking day. And by the way, people shit on me all the time too. They push back. Like that's part of, you know, putting yourself out there in anything, you know? Um, so just don't get too lost in this. It's, it's dumb. And um, I am in general, like absolutely not a fan of, aggressively calling out players on Twitter. I, I do it pretty rarely. I called out Holloway bad defense tonight. Maybe not the classiest move, but like I was annoyed with it at the, in that moment. I still like, like the kid. I like all these kids. I want them all to succeed. So uh, it's not personal guys. It's because we care. It's because we're passionate. We're following the game. We get frustrated. We chirp some shit out. Don't take it personally. And if you look at the name of any guy, from a top 15 program who might have had a bad game or a bad moment in a game this weekend, search their name. You'll see a whole lot more shit, I promise you. Um, Go UMass, and uh, we will talk soon. Peace.